you can tell, it's a little different format today. And uh, this is, we're doing this for this entire series. So this is a series about our values at a ch- as a church. And our values are the things that have driven the history of this church or will shape the future of this church or both. Basically, a value says this is important to us as a church. And when we have a step one class, we always go over our values. We've got seven core values as a church. Uh, we're going to talk about five of them in this series because I feel like two of them were covered in Habits of the Heart. So we're going we're gonna to talk about five of the core values. And uh, for each one of them, I thought it was much better to have a conversation than just me telling you about the value. Uh, because when it's important to us, we really mean it's important to us as a family, as a community. It's not just important to Russ or important to Ebony. It's important to us as a church family. And so um, we're starting with what some people consider the most controversial value. And because uh, it's diverse community. Um, now, diversity is not controversial from a biblical perspective, and it is not controversial from a theological perspective, but from a political perspective, it can be controversial. And sometimes we allow kind of our, our politics to shape our Christian perspective, and I want to uh, encourage us, I will always encourage us to not allow that to happen. Our, our Christian perspective should shape our politics. So um, I just want to encourage you today to listen with uh, open hearts and open minds uh, to the things that are said. And I also want to welcome Ebony to this conversation. She whispered to me right when we started, like, too late to back out now. We've got the, we got the chairs set up. We're you weren't going. supposed to tell them that. Yeah, well, but I, that's where I want to start. I want to thank you um, for being willing to do this because I know, you know, I've, I, this is not the first time I've asked you to do this when we talk about diversity. This is the fourth or fifth sermon that you and I have done together on this. But I know it's difficult for you to stand up uh, to sit. I was going to say stand up. I, I know it's difficult to sit in this seat and have this conversation publicly. Uh, these kind of conversations are difficult privately when it's just a one-on-one conversation. But to have it in front of, you know, several hundred people is a difficult thing. So I, I appreciate your willingness to, to participate in this message. Thank you very much. Um, I do appreciate you recognizing the vulnerability of this conversation. And um, it has been really sweet for me to um, have so many people, both black and white, praying for me. Um, Those flowers right there are actually from Kristen Each this morning, encouraging me in this message. So thank you. (laughs) Um, But it's so sweet to see just my diverse community supporting me um, in the mission that God has called me to here. Um, It is very vulnerable, as you mentioned, because... I know that my story and my experience um, is not going to be honored and valued by everyone that hears it. And so um, I know that um, that's a part of the, the, the experience of standing on stage and, and telling my story. But you, um, over the past um, few years I've been on staff here, have proven yourself to be safe. And many people here in this congregation have proven themselves to be safe as well. And that is why I'm here having this conversation and it is a value of our church, um, and so I think that in order to grow in that, to, to, in order to grow in our understanding, we have to have these conversations, yeah. even though they're hard. Yep, agree 100%. So would you start us off with a word of prayer before we dig into the meat of this message? I would love to. <laughs> okay. thank I would you. love to. Let's do that. Lord, I thank you so much um, just for Murray Hills and just the, the mission and vision and values that you created here. Um, this is such a sweet, sweet, special place. Um, God, I just ask that you will... 
calm Russ and I's hearts. I know that is um, difficult for both of us um, to have this conversation. God, I just thank you for giving us peace. Allow the words of the Holy Spirit to speak through us, God, and open the ears to everyone that hears this message, whether online or in the room. God, that they will be able to lay aside any preconceived notions or ideas or um, any other thoughts they have on this issue, God, but they will um, be listening with an open heart and open mind to be able to hear the words that we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So with that being said, let's jump in. We've got a lot to All say right. in a little bit of time. Why is diversity a value for this church? Um, I want to st start with that it wasn't always. And so I talk about this in the step one class and explain this. And we just had a step one class and I explained it. But, you know, when we first developed the values of this church back in 2006, 2007, 2008, I can't remember exactly when we said, hey, these are seven things that are important to us. We had a statement on there that said unity and diversity. And we were not thinking about uh, racial diversity or ethnic diversity. We were thinking about uh, theological diversity. Like we were saying, you know, like, hey, well, this is a very diverse church denominationally. Uh, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. We come from a lot of different socioeconomic statuses. We come from a lot of different ages. And so we, were, we always valued diversity, but we valued it generationally, theologically, denominationally. And, and maybe 10 years ago, I just kind of looked around and was like, we're talking about diversity, but we're, to put it bluntly, we're all a bunch of white people. You know, I mean, it's just, we, we all look the same. And uh, that's not what our community looks like. And so Murray County is one of the most ethnically diverse counties in southern middle Tennessee. And we have more diversity in Murray County than any county that touches us. And the city of Columbia is one of the most diverse cities in southern middle Tennessee. And it's like, we're serving this city. This is the city that we were planted in and we were called to serve. But our gatherings on Sunday don't necessarily look like our city. They're not reflective of our city. And so we decided, you know, I think it was 10 years ago. I can't remember the timeline, but we decided, hey, let's name it. Let's, this, we don't want to just be diverse denominationally and generationally. We want to be diverse uh, ethnically as well. Mm -hmm. And so we named it. Now, the other piece of that comes from the, the influence of a friendship that developed 10 years ago with, with a guy by the name of Trent Ogilvie. Uh, who we've become very good friends, and I didn't know him back in 2015, but I went to a memorial service at uh, St. Paul AME Church. And this was in 2015, uh, Dylan Roof, uh, motivated by racist ideology, went into uh, the church, Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. He killed nine African Americans after participating in a Bible study with them, including the pastor and a state senator. And uh, it kind of shook our nation. If you remember when that, when that news came out, everybody was shook. And we, our community had a, a memorial service and a, and a unity service. And we all stood together. And it was a very diverse church gathering, very diverse representation on the stage. And the pastors, they chose to speak. You know, we all stood and held hands and sang. And Trent got up at the end of that and he said, we always do this. We always do this. We, when there's a tragedy, we come together and we celebrate our diversity. And then we go back to our different churches, our different neighborhoods, our different communities, and we never continue the conversation. And he said, I want to challenge you to continue the conversation so that what happened in Charleston, South Carolina, never happens in Murray County. And um, he, about a week later, he sent an email. And I didn't know Trent at the time. I mean, I knew he's another pastor in town. He's a pastor at Bethel Chapel AME Church, so I knew of him. But um, he sent an email, and he invited all the pastors to come to a meeting. And we went to a meeting, second floor of the, the Columbia Police Department, and the chief of police was there, and the sheriff was there, and the city mayor, and the county mayor, and, and a very diverse group of pastors. 
uh, probably the most diverse group of pastors that I'd been in, and um, that became Stand Together Fellowship, and Trent and I somehow ended up co-leading it together, and I think it was just because I took notes at the first meeting, and they were like, oh, he must be one of the <laughs> leaders, um, but I, I think um, that eventually morphed into the Columbia Peace and Justice Initiative, and which kind of became the formal arm of that, and so that, I mean, naturally, my work personally began to bleed over into the work congregationally and begin to affect kind of uh, the church. And I, I say this to the church, I want us to be a more diverse church because I think diversity makes us stronger as a church body. I want our community to be more diverse because I think diversity makes us stronger um, as a community. So that's my, my really long answer to a, to a brief question, but that's going to be our challenge throughout this study. Uh, I want to flip it around to you, though. Why, for you, why is... Diversity. Why should diversity be a value as a church? Like, why should we say this is a value for Murray Hills? Yeah. Uh, number one, it's modeled throughout Scripture, which you and I will dig into in just a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of lots of that. Um, but it's a biblical mandate, and um, I want our church to be a place where everyone feels comfortable attending, no matter your ethnicity, your age, your marital status, your social economic status. I'd want this to be a safe place, um, a very diverse place in more ways than just race, yeah. which is very important. And that um, requires intentionality, right? Because the gospel tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so if we're not creating an atmosphere where all nations are welcome into our building, then we're not following God's command. Yeah. So talk about some of the, let's talk about the biblical foundation for this. Because it's one thing for you and I to both say, hey, diversity is important to us and we ought to be a diverse church. But biblically, where do we get that? Why is that a foundation. Right. And that's what's important because that's what fights against the it's just political. It's not biblical yeah. statements. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, Luke chapter 10 um, is the first um, we're going to look at the first story of Jesus teaching us about why diversity is important. So Luke 10 verse 25 says on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He, re he replied, how do you read it? And the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Which is very, very significant, right? He understood that first two commandments, love God, love my neighbor. I have to love vertically first before I can love horizontally. But he wanted to make sure that he knew who his neighbor was because he wanted to fulfill the commandment, but only on his own terms. So essentially he was asking Jesus, does that include non-Jews, right? Mm -hmm. So let's continue reading, see how Jesus replies to his um, question. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Some other um, versions of the Bible say compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring it on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. So then Jesus asked the man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 
And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. When we read this story, we have to understand that um, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. So the person that was asking the question was a Jew, and the Samaritan was the one that helped um, the person that was in the road. So they were so um, disconnected. They didn't like each other so much that throughout Scripture we see that Jews would avoid walking through Samaria because they didn't want to have um, anything to do with them. They didn't want to have contact, be in their land. And remember, they were on foot, so this was a serious commitment. This took a lot of time to go around to Samaria to not actually um, interact with them. And so just like Jesus told the expert of the law that our neighbors are everyone, even people that don't look like you, don't have the same um, background as you or ethnicity, that when he commands us to love our neighbor, he means absolutely everything or everyone. And so um, as I was reading this text, I was thinking to myself that one thing this text doesn't say is if the Samaritan had any other relationship with other Jews, right? Because when he saw this Jewish man on the ground who was supposed to be his enemy, he had compassion and empathy for him. He helped him physically. He helped him financially to be able to get to a place of healing and hope. He was half dead, right? So the priest who was a Jew, the Levite who was a Jew, walked right past him and didn't help him. And so um, uh, uh, proximity breeds empathy, right? He, he was in close relationship with Jewish people when he saw this man, he saw someone that, um, he saw him as a person and not just as a Jew. Just like you said with your experience with Stand Together Ministries um, and meeting those men and hearing their stories is you were able to understand the African-American experience better because of your proximity to them. Yeah, and I, I think if you flip that around in the story of the Good Samaritan, the, the, the teacher of the law who's asking doesn't have empathy. He can't even say the Samaritan right. was the right. neighbor. Mm -hmm. And then he says the, the one who had mercy. He mm -hmm. won't even say the Good. Samaritan. But um, he lacked that empathy because he lacked proximity. Mm -hmm. and, yep. that's, and I love that quote because that is, that's 100% my experience. Um, and I'll tell you a story real quick. I, wanna, I got two verses that I'm going to share too. But I'll have a story real quick on Stand Together. The, the first meeting we had mm -hmm. for that, you know, like I said, it was a very diverse gathering. And Trent led the first meeting and he said, um, let's, just, let's just open up the conversation. He said, what are the racial issues in our community? And, uh, and I sat there. As a, you know, grew up in and around this area, and I sat there as a white man going, I, I don't, I can't really think of anything. Like, I, I can't really, and I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed to tell this story now because uh, when I tell that story uh, in diverse audiences, they're like, What? What is the matter with you? But I mean, I really, I mean, I was sitting there quietly going, I can't, there's nothing really comes to my mind. And, and Victor Goodman, who was the pastor at Wayman Chapel AME Church, and he's, he's since passed away, he goes, I can think of something, and he immediately started talking about something. And um, uh, Kenny Anderson, if y'all know him, Kenny Anderson's pastor at Mount Calvary Missionary Baptist Church, and Kenny's got a, uh, a forceful personality. So Kenny's like, I can think of something right now, and you ain't never going to do nothing about it. And he pointed to the county mayor, and I was like, whoa, okay, here we go. Uh, but, I mean, it was like I just I realized pretty quickly, like, I just need to be quiet. I just need to be quiet and listen. Wow. And um, because they were explaining an experience to me that I had no uh, context for right. because I had not experienced it. And right. so they were talking about some hurt that they had experienced in my community that I love that I never experienced. Mm -hmm. and, and being in those conversations, we had them every single month for seven or eight years, every single month. Being in those conversations helped me get empathy 
for their experience because I realized their experience in Murray County was different than my experience in mm -hmm. Murray County. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, a lot of those men that you mentioned, um, I think most of them are probably born and raised in this community and have a, a, a long history of many stories that they can tell. My family and I have been in the Nashville area for about 20 years. Um, and four years ago, um, we heard, um, so three out of four of us have heard the N-word called to our face um, in the past four years this started. And of course, people are like, what? You know, are people are still doing that. Um, but we just moved to Murray County about a year and a half ago, and two of those instances were just last year. So that tells you that um, our community still has a long way to go when it comes to racial diversity. And, and when you told me that, I, I told you I was shocked and not shocked. And <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's the sad, um, the sad reality. Yeah. It's like I'm surprised but not surprised. Right. And it just kind of speaks to we still have work to do mm. in 2024. We still yeah. have work to do. Mm -hmm. I want to mention two other scriptures. Um, the, the, and this is about the New Testament church. The New Testament church has always, diversity has always been the call of the New Testament church. The New Testament church was called to be a multi-ethnic church. As you said, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And this was very difficult for a Jewish audience to grasp because in the early days of the, of the church, it was all Jewish. Everybody was from the same race and ethnicity, and everybody had the same um, customs and backgrounds mm -hmm. and heritage and all that stuff. The, the church was a very homogeneous church right. in the early beginnings. In Acts chapter 10, God called uh, Peter, a Jew, to go to Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And Gentiles, when we talk about Jew and Gentile relations, Gentile was an, a despised ethnic class in the same way Samaritans were a despised ethnic class. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. It wasn't just religious differences. There were, there were cultural differences. Mm -hmm. And um, God called Peter to go reach Cornelius. And then he called Paul to go, and Paul's a Jew among Jews. I mean, he's a Pharisee, and he calls him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And uh, it creates a ton of friction. I mean, if we think we have controversy today over, you know, <laughs> cultural differences, I mean, it created a ton of friction in the early church. And so they had what I call a come-to-Jesus meeting in Acts chapter 15. It's called the Jerusalem Council. And they were basically asking, are we going to be a diverse church or not? I mean, that was basically what was at play. Are we going to welcome the Gentiles or are we going to say, you're welcome, but you've got to be just like a Jew if you're mm -hmm. going to come. Yes. You know, like, we're, you're welcome, but you've got to do Jewish customs and do Jewish things. And so that was the whole debate in Acts chapter 15. And I want to read you what Peter said, because after they debated it some, let me see if I can find it here. Um, it says the apostles, this is verse 6, Acts chapter 15, verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. And they're considering the question of whether or not the Gentiles must keep the law of Moses in order to be a part of the church. It says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And this is like this pivotal moment in the church where Peter kind of lays down the gauntlet that uh, there's no discrimination in God's kingdom, that all are equal in God's kingdom. As you were talking about, you know, love for our neighbors, you know, who is my neighbor? And right. Jesus says, everyone's your neighbor. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what he's answering in the Good Samaritan. There's no one who is not your neighbor. 
So there should never be any differences or divides in the church. And, of course, we're going to get to American history in just a minute. But you know uh, that's not been our story. Mm -hmm. But I want to, one other one, real quick, and then I've I've got a question for you. Let's see. Uh, Galatians, Galatians 2. Let me find it. And I don't know, I tried to research this a little bit and I didn't find a good answer whether or not this took place before Acts chapter 15 or after Acts chapter 15 because I think it's interesting, kind of changes the story a little bit. But there's a story about Peter goes to to Galatia and Galatia is a Gentile area and Galatia is a Gentile church. Mm -hmm. No problems, God's called Peter to the Gentiles now. So Peter realizes that he should not call anything unclean that God has called clean. And so he goes to Galatia. He openly fellowships with the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. He, op- he has table fellowship with the Gentiles. He welcomes them as he would welcome anybody else. Until some Jewish brethren show up. And then Peter pulls back and kind of reverts to the cultural norms. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be criticized for who he is openly fellowshipping. And so Paul writes this about the story. He says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, that's talking about the Jewish people, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Jewish uh, Gentiles into Jewish customs? Mm-hmm. Verse 14 is the critical line for me. You get the story. You get what's happening. Peter is withdrawing, and he, and he shouldn't be withdrawing. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, when I saw he was not acting in line mm-hmm. with the truth of the gospel. Yeah. So for Paul, this is a gospel level. Diversity is a gospel level issue. You are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And that's why I just think it's, it's throughout the New Testament church and the teachings of Jesus, we're called to be a diverse church. And, and it's it, to, not, to not practice inclusion of everyone is not acting in line mm-hmm. with the truth of the gospel. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's so, the bottom line. So good. Um, with that being said, that um, you and I both shared stories um, in Scripture and um, about why this is a biblical mandate. So why is it um, Sunday morning still the most um, segregated hour of the week? Why do churches get so much pushback when they try to have these hard conversations? Um, what are the barriers that churches experience when they try to be diverse? All right. Well, this is where we're going to have fun because um, <laughs> fun. We're going we're gonna to get into. To, I'm going to tell stuff. you my opinion, right? And uh, people may not agree with my opinion. Mm-hmm. But when I think of the barriers to diversity, what makes it so hard? Like if the New Testament's so clear on it, why is this so hard? Right. Um, I answer it in two ways. One is the weight of American history. We have the weight of American history on our shoulders. And Robert Jackson showed me this in a class he did in 2020. And um, it got interrupted by COVID. But he had a chart that showed the history, American history from the early 1600s to the modern day. And it showed some time periods in African-American history. Mm -hmm. And so you've got from the early 1600s to 1865, uh, the legacy of chattel slavery, where African-Americans were bought and sold as property. And three-fifths of a person in the United States Constitution. And um, the economic engine that built the country. And so you've got 250-plus years of that history. 
and that was corrected through a long and brutal his, uh, civil war, mm -hmm. and you had a brief reprieve for, was it 15, 16 years or whatever, uh, 1865 to 1877, and at the end of Reconstruction, you see the re-enslavement of black people mm -hmm. through the penal system, through sharecropping, through um, the loss of rights, the loss of rights to vote, the loss of rights to hold office, uh, and through the, the terror of lynching. Mm -hmm. And you had an era of lynching and terrorism from um, 1877 to around 1930. The last known lynching in Murray County took place in 1933. But then you got even after the lynching period ends, you've got a period of Jim Crow segregation for another 20, 30 years that didn't come to an end legally mm -hmm. until 18, I mean, 1964. Wow. And um, like, so you've got this, it creates this myth of separate but equal, mm -hmm. which was a complete mis myth, yeah. and the myth of black inferiority mm -hmm. and white superiority or white right. supremacy. Mm -hmm. And it's so deeply embedded in in everything. I mean, it's just, it's just so deeply embedded in our history mm -hmm. and in our politics and in our, even in our theology because right. there were theologies that developed mm -hmm. to support slavery. There right. were theologies that developed to support segregation mm -hmm. and to say this is why. And it, you know, I, I just explain it that racism is the great sin of America. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, when I say that, it's not like, well, you don't love this country. I, I love this country and I'm right. proud to be an American and I, and I want to live in this country and I think we enjoy more freedoms in this country than any other country in the world, you know. But at the same time, I can recognize that we have a, a flawed history. And, you know, our founding fathers created the, the, the best system of freedom and equality, yet many of them were slave owners. Mm. And um, many of them tolerated the institution of slavery if they weren't slave owners. Right. And when they wrote, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, we know from history that, that those rights didn't extend to all people. They didn't right. even extend to all genders. Right. You know, we, we know that from history. So it's okay to say, to, to recognize that and to say like that, you know, yes, there was... We have some great, there's great things about our country, but we also have a, a, a hypocritical history mm -hmm. that we're trying to overcome. Right. And we've been through a process of correcting that for hundreds of years. Uh, and, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois and Frederick Douglass and King and Malcolm X and all these people were pointing out the hypocrisy of this is what your stated ideals are as a country, but this is what your practiced ideals are. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot to overcome. We do, it doesn't just end because King said, I have a dream. And we say, well, good. You know, or, or you know, um, Linda B. Johnson passed the Civil Rights Act. And we say, okay, well, good. We solved racism. You know, thank goodness. Thank goodness that's over. We elected a black president. Whew, man, glad, glad we solved racism. It, it's so deeply embedded that it takes so much. It, we still deal with the weight of that. I think that's a huge barrier. Um, and the other one that I'll mention, and then I'm going to flip the question around on you, is the, I think when we talk about racism, we often talk about two different things. And I, the, you opened my eyes to this. And it's this book right here, Beyond Racial Gridlock, which I'm going to encourage you guys to read. But you opened my eyes to this, that there's, there's individual racism and structural racism. So individual racism is racism between one individual to another individual, just like you experience. Somebody calling you that name yeah. is individual racism. Mm -hmm. That's sin, and it's wrong, and it's evil, and the only way to change that is the redemption of that person's heart. Right. And that's individual racism. But there's also structural racism mm -hmm. that 
where it's in our systems. And you can see examples in the justice system. You can see examples in the war on crimes. You want to talk about the 80s. If you want to go back to the 1960s and talk about redlining and the mortgage industry, there's examples all throughout American history right. of structural racism. The problem is, for the most part, when white people talk about racism, we tend to talk and think in terms of individual racism. I would venture to say there's not a person in this room that wouldn't say what what they did, that name they called, that's wrong and evil. I think every, we'd have 100% agreement in this room. Mm -hmm. But when you start talking about structural racism, people start going, well, now, I don't know, I don't know about this. And, and that's, I think most white people think in terms of individual racism, and a lot of black people think in terms of structural racism, and this is especially true in white church and, and black church. And I've experienced it firsthand. When you go hear, you go hear a sermon in a predominantly white church, you're going to hear about the evils of individual racism. Mm -hmm. And we need, to, we need to do something about the human heart and the sin of the human heart. You go hear a sermon about racism in a predominantly black church, and you're going to hear about the sin of structural racism right. and our systems. And we need societal change mm -hmm. in order to change that system. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, that explains a lot of the divide. We're talking about two different things when we're just talking about two different types of, of racism. And I think that's a lot of the, the divide and a lot of the barrier. Mm -hmm. So I want to, and that's my next, what, are, what from your perspective, I'm sorry, I'm way uh, off no, our notes, here, but from your perspective, what's, um, what do you think the barriers are? Exactly what you just said. It is um, our understanding of racism, um, structural versus individual. You'll hear a lot of people say, well, slavery is over. You know, you're not a slave anymore. I'm not a slave over. Let's, let's, get on, let's get past it and move on. But they don't realize all of the structural systems, a lot of the um, things you mentioned throughout history um, that have been put in intentionally to um, hold back African Americans. And so I think if we have that perspective and understand what um, is breaking our hearts, what's making us sad and angry, then I think we'll be able to come to the table with the same understanding of what we're experiencing. Church specifically, um, in order to uh, break the barriers of uh, creating a diverse community is safety. Um, for instance, if we quickly jump back to the 90s when racial reconciliation became a big topic amongst white evangelical churches, black people felt called um, to mission to be able to join those churches. Conversations were happening behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, and it, um, uh, African Americans got really excited about um, what was happening. And um, in the 90s, there was about 2% um, African Americans in these predominantly white churches, and by um, you know, two decades later, it had grown to 20%. Um, and so it looked like you know, things were really, really happening. Then there was a 2012 killing of Trayvon Martin, the 2014 murder of Eric Gardner and Michael Brown, the 2016 election. I think anybody on both sides can take a deep breath about that one. The 2020 election, the 2020 killings of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor, just to name a few, and those same um, white pulpits that were talking so much about racial reconciliation and unity and healing were completely silent on the issue. Those issues became issues of um, divisiveness, they became political, and they were all of a sudden not biblical issues anymore. And so the people that felt safe in these um, churches that were um, aiming at one point for diversity realized that they were invited in for their faces, but not for their experiences. Um, and they were not receiving empathy and compassion, um, like in the story of the Good Samaritan that we talked about earlier. Um, me personally, I think I've shared this in one of our other conversations that I distinctly remember during the years that I mentioned a minute ago, I was working at another predominantly white church in the area. And 
I said I wasn't going to cry, but I feel the tears. Anyway, um, but I was on staff at a predominantly white church uh, locally, and um, I remember sitting in my office, closed my door, and I remember just sobbing at my desk. <sighs> Tim told me I was going to cry. I told him I wasn't. We got it right here. <laughs> That's why we, we have the tissues there. there just for you. But I remember sitting at my desk and just weeping because of the conversations I was having to have with my kids of the faces of um, the murdered men on TV um, that looked like my husband and my son. I remember living in a predominantly white neighborhood and feeling fearful of um, my home and my safety. I remember um, my husband walking through the neighborhood and just being scared. Um, and I was alone because everybody else outside of my door had no idea about what I was experiencing behind, um, you know, in the walls of my own office. And I just remember feeling so alone and feeling like it wasn't a safe place, even though diversity was one of the things that they claimed um, was part of their mission and vision. And so. When we're creating a diverse church, um, one of the things that we have to make sure we are creating is safe places and safe spaces for us to be able to have these conversations. Um, and I love that we do that not only on the stage, but also behind the scenes as well. Yeah. And, and I think this is where I think it gets interesting because we're going to have to wrap it up here as quickly. But this is where I think it gets interesting. Mm -hmm. So it, it, if I just break down this message for just a minute, the first half of this message, I think everybody's pretty comfortable with. Yeah. And the second half of the message... People, you start to get a little uncomfortable because you're, oh, now you're talking about Trayvon Martin mm -hmm. and now you're talking about George Floyd. And, yeah. and, it, and it really, those, those stories really did expose that there was a lot, it exposed some things that we felt like, I'm talking about the, the church, evangelical church in the mm -hmm. 90s and 80s. We felt right. like, hey, we've, we've, we've figured out this diversity right. thing. Yeah. We, we ended racism in 1964 mm -hmm. and now we've figured out diversity in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those stories exposed that there was a much deeper divide than we realized. Right. And there's a much deeper divide culturally than we realized. Mm -hmm. And I want to say thank you to you again mm -hmm. for being on our staff because I, I don't know that I would have recognized mm -hmm. those stories if you had not been on the leadership of our mm -hmm. you know, church to mm -hmm. be able to say, are we going to say something about George Floyd? Yeah. Because people want to know that the church cares about this injustice. Right. And so I think you have done a tremendous amount in our church to help this be a safe place mm -hmm. and to help us become a more diverse church, not just um, not just because there's a there's a different color face on stage, right, right. but because you're, you're helping educate us on the different experience. And mm -hmm. I just, I want to thank you again for thank that. You. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, Thank you also for giving me the opportunity. Um, as I said, a lot of other African-Americans in predominantly white churches, the stages were silent here. Um, I was able to pray um, for some of those things that broke my heart. And you encouraged me. You said, thank you so much for praying. You prayed. Um, I've given the opportunity to talk on stage here. Um, even when I'm doing sermons or hosting or whatever, you've always given me the freedom to be able to pray over those things. And so thank you for intentionally creating that safe environment here. Right. So, well, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, we're going to, that's fine. Y'all can applaud for me too. That's okay. I appreciate Make it. it. You, you got Balance way more applause than I did. Balance you just heard that, right? Um, I, we, there's so much that we did not get to cover, but we've got to wrap this up. We do have some recommendations. I've got some books up here that uh, you really need to read. Um, the Beyond Racial Gridlock, Embracing Mutual Responsibilities, one of those. There's another one by Jamar Tisby called uh, The Color of Compromise, which is the truth about the American church's complicity in racism. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend both those books. You got a couple that 
Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you and I have done two other sermons about this as well, an yeah, honest yeah. conversation about race and racial reconciliation back in 2020 and 2021. Watch those videos, you know, we're able to um, talk a little bit more about this. Also, if you don't read books, uh, the movie 13th is a really good one that talks about um, structural racism, which is a, a really good learn. So um, learn and uh, grow on our own and be intentional about creating diverse community um, outside of Sundays. I think a lot of people are attracted to our ministry because of these conversations and this um, diverse leadership that we have here very intentionally. But make sure that your community is diverse, that you are building authentic uh, friendships and relationships with people that don't look like you, Um, not to teach you facts, um, but just to get to know them because proximity breeds empathy. Proximity breeds empathy, Mm -hmm. and and I love that safe place. Next week, we're going to talk about a safe place, and this is not just in regards to diversity. It's regard to anything Mm -hmm. because you likely heard something today that you go, I'm not not sure I agree with that. This is a safe place to have different. As we were writing this, I'm going to end with this story. As we were writing this sermon, we did it on a Google Docs, and we did it together, and so it was really powerful experience because you know a lot of times we were writing it at the same time I could mm-hmm. see Ebony making changes and I'm making changes <laughs> and at one point you put a note in there and said uh, it was a line that I had written in the sermon you mm-hmm. said I'm not real comfortable with this mm-hmm. and here's why I'm not real comfortable right. with this and I was like well I'm comfortable with it you know I don't I don't see the problem with it you mm-hmm. saw a problem with it but that was a great example that I'm able to sit in there and go okay, let me try to understand why mm-hmm. Ebony would not be comfortable with this line. Right. And it was it were two different experiences, two different histories, mm-hmm. two different backgrounds. Right. And we edited that line just a little bit. I'm not going to show you all what it is. We <laughs> edited that line just a little bit to say, let's make the, this. And that's a great example mm-hmm. of what we're talking about, right. that this is a safe place for you to say, I'm not real comfortable with you saying it that mm-hmm. way. I don't know that that's right. Yes. And for me to say, well, why? Why do you not think that's right? right? You know, so I think that's a great example of it. We got to quit because y'all got to get out of here. I'm looking at the clock and you're like, yeah, we got to go to lunch. So uh, I'm going to close this with a word of prayer. And, um, and then uh, we'll talk about, well, we won't talk about it next week. I'm just going to close with a word of prayer and we'll be done. Okay. Uh, Father, I want to thank you. I'm thankful that... Um, that Ebony agreed to participate in this conversation, and um, I'm thankful that of what we read in your word. And we read in your word that um, that you are a God for all people. And um, Christianity doesn't belong to one group of people or another group of people, and uh, we, we need to be a more diverse church. And um, we pray that you help us to do that. We think it makes us stronger as a church. And we know that in doing that, it is difficult because you have disagreements or you have things that you see differently or there's events that happen in our country um, that we interpret differently or politics come up differently. And uh, it's not easy. But you didn't call us to walk an easy road. You just called us to be committed to you and your son, Jesus. So, I just pray that we are committed to you and your son, Jesus, and we can work through all the other. And uh, so I'm, I'm thankful for, uh, for this church and our leadership, and I'm thankful for uh, the path that you have called us to take. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, pray these things. Amen.